Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that gives you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes, Mookie Alexander, and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 162 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by Mookie Alexander and Victor Rodriguez. Today, we'll be discussing Bobby Green's big call-up, Brock Lesnar's thoughts on his UFC purses, the possibility of a big fight between Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez, and we'll be looking ahead at UFC Vegas 48's best fights. But before we get into all that, let's check in with the guys and see how their weeks have been. My week's been good. Um, you know, it, it's been quiet for the most part. Uh, I see UFC Vegas 48s and best fights, and I'm thinking we're, we're pretty light on that. It's a miracle we actually got four fights out of this one. And all I'm hoping for is that the good fights, don't, the remaining good fights on this card don't get canceled because, we, look, I mean, our first topic is about a, a main event that got canceled for next week. We're just lucky that we ended up with a good fight out of it. Yeah, that's true. I, um, I, I, I'm so done with this winter bullshit. I can't deal with this anymore. I woke up yesterday and I felt live for the very first time in a long time. I feel that cold in my bones. This whole idea of growing old in this is, is not fun. I'm not enjoying this. I might have to move somewhere where it's not quite like this, but definitely not Florida or Texas. I, I can't deal with that. It's just not happening. Steffi, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't, I can't cook for you every week. It's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, it, it's cool, man. You know, we got a really cool uh, set of fights that uh, are set to take place. I'm really excited about it. We've got the PFL challenger series this week. We got Bellator this week. It's pretty dope. I, I, we got a lot of cool things on the horizon, so I'm excited for that. And, of course, we're less than a month away from my favorite time of year, Daylight Savings. Yes. <laughs> why is why is Daylight Savings your favorite time of the year? It's, this is where we get into old man dad talk hours, but for real, like, I am so sick of having sunsets at 5 p.m., that is not that is a, that is unnatural. That is living in sin. I can't deal with this. No, you can't do it. Well, I'm having a pretty solid week, and especially today, because it was revealed that Michael Massey is out of Formula One. Woohoo! I'm excited. But anyways, um, outside of that, uh, it's been a very solid week. And when we open up the first news topic of today, this this topic also added to my glee for the week because I love it. It's a really, really neat pairing that's going to happen and man i can't wait to see it i know a lot of people out there are like ah eh, this person's not going to do well but you never know so anyways without further ado i'm going to go ahead and jump into that first topic and it is bobby green is set to headline his first ufc and it's been a long time coming i think he could have done this you know four or five fights back but anyways here we are and what happened was Ariel Helwani reported on Wednesday that Benil Dariush had suffered an ankle injury and was forced to withdraw from his fight against Islam Makachev next week at UFC Vegas 49. About an hour after that headliner was canceled, Brett Okamoto of ESPN revealed that Bobby Green 
would be stepping in for the injured Benil Dariush and meeting Islam Makachev at a catchweight on just 10 days' notice. Now, contracts have not been signed yet, but both men have verbally agreed to the fight. Green is uh, coming off a fantastic, amazing performance over uh, Nazrat Hakparast just last weekend. He looked not last week yeah it was last weekend right yeah and he looked phenomenal absolutely amazing and i couldn't be happier now islam makachev uh is he's got wins over drew dober tiago moises dan hooker um and of course what he's probably most famous for is he is the protege of khabib Nurmagomedov, who frequently speaks highly of his protege this is an amazing fight yes i realize bobby green will be at a significant disadvantage in this fight thanks to makachev's wrestling but let us not forget that bobby green has some pretty damn good wrestling himself and his striking is just premium um you never know. He might just pull another thing where that uh, an Ally Aquinto result happens. Now, I don't think that Makachev would retire, but I do think that it could happen that Bobby Green knocks him out. Uh, gentlemen, what do you think of this amazing news? Well, a couple of things here. One, it sucks for Benil Dariush that he gets injured so close to what would have been the biggest fight of his career. Main event against Islam Makachev. This is a this was my most anticipated fight out of you know outside of Adesanya Whitaker last week, out of all the fights on the February schedule. And then the second bit is kudos to Bobby Green for saving this card because you got Misha Serkinov, Wellington Wellington Terminus the co main event. And Priscilla Cachoeira is somehow on the main card, even after that shit she pulled against Julian Robertson, which should have gotten her cut. So it's not the greatest card on paper, even by fight night standard. But Bobby Green versus Makachev, that's as good a replacement fight as you can put together on a couple of days notice. Because uh, as Steffi mentioned, Bobby Green is hard to take down and hard to hold down. Now, Islam Makachev, with the way that he's been wrestling, I mean, it, it is Khabib-like. And we've seen Khabib just absolutely run through guys who are extraordinarily hard to take down and hold down before. So if Makachev can do the same thing, Bobby Green's in for a long night. But we have, act, unlike Habib, we see Makachev get knocked out against um, Adriano Martins, I think. It's a while ago, and Bobby Green's not a, a consistent finisher. In fact, he's got, what, one finish by knockout in his entire UFC career. But his boxing is so slick. And while Makachev is a good striker... I think Bobby Green's just on another level on the feet. So the longer this fight stays just a kickboxing match, the better a chance I give Bobby Green to pull off the upset. Now, if Makachev is able to, to compromise Green's wrestling and at least be even on the feet, then tough luck for Bobby. It's going to be a tough fight for him to win. But I like this matchup. You you mentioned you mentioned some names there, boy. Mm -hmm. Wellington Terman. Boy, if that ain't got if, listen, <laughs> if that's not a name right there, boy, Wellington Terman, and then you talk about Priscilla Cashware, that woman's still alive. We're talking about somebody that's currently two and four in the UFC, dating all the way back to 2018, where she was brought in under what I like to call the Ron Stallings clause to fight Valentina Shevchenko. Um, yeah, wow, what a what an event, what a card. But hey, listen, man. That's why you need this right here. I'm calling him that now. I'm calling him Big Shot Bobby. If he pulls this off, man, listen, the way the come up is going to be so real and so sudden 
with this big win because you got to remember, man, this isn't just a dude that is under the tutelage and mentorship, I guess, of um, of, of Habib Nurmagomedov. This is a man who Habib literally said at a press conference, he put the belt in front of him and said, future champ. He's calling this shot like, like Babe Ruth pointing the bat out to the outfield. You know what I mean? Like, this is the move right here. This is a guy that a lot of people are not very thrilled to fight because, again, like, he's not highly ranked. A win against him doesn't really do too much for a lot of these guys, but it's high risk, low reward. But Bobby Green is the guy, again, walking into the fire while everyone else is running away. There's something. There's something there. Bobby sees something about the value of a win at this particular point. Not only that, he gets a quick turnaround with a, 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 another immediate payday. Doesn't have to be substantial, but look, you know how it is, right? No play, no pay. If he doesn't fight, he's not getting anything in his bank account. So he gets a, gets a, another opportunity at that, and he gets to prove himself against an up-and-coming prospect that is very, very serious as a threat. I love all all of the drama surrounding it. For, uh, the, 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 for uh, all the other purposes here, a loss maybe doesn't set Green that far back in a way, oddly enough, because he is still fighting a younger dude who's, you know, again, another another up-and-comer who doesn't have that much of a name. But at least in terms of credibility, it really elevates Bobby Green. I love this. I think it's great. Yeah, you know what? Green is still not ranked in the latest updates. Uh, Diego Ferreira is 15th. I'd probably rank Bobby Green ahead of Diego Ferreira at this point. But out of the unranked guys, he's probably the best one. So there's still a lot to lose for Makachev. Like if he loses to Bobby Green, goodbye to any title shot anytime mm. soon. But if he wins, that's still a good win, even though he's not in the top 15. Yep. Because Green's only loss recently was to Tiago Moises. Now Makachev ran through Moises, but that was a pretty debatable decision. I'm sorry, Fiziev also beat Bobby Green. But even that was a very close fight. We've seen Bobby Green be competitive against some other very good lightweights. So um, all I can hope for is that this fight, even though it's on short notice, stays intact because that this, this card is hanging by a thread as far as the, the, the depth of that show. May I also point out one other thing that I liked about this is that the bout will be contested at a catch weight. Yes, smart. So that Bobby Green doesn't have to do a, a serious weight cut twice in two weeks. Exactly. I I think that's very commendable right there um, because so many of these guys take these short notice fights and they take them for the, the, the weight that uh, – was originally agreed upon between the original opponents. But when you're taking a short notice fight, uh, look at uh, what's his name last week, 12 pounds uh, over. Uh, William Knight. Yeah, I mean, the the easiest thing for him to have done would have been to have that happen at a catch weight, but he didn't. And as a result, he came in 12 pounds over. And to me, that just gives the UFC another reason to, to look at you with the side eye and not want to do you favors of any sort. You know, you know, it'd be funny, though, if he wins a fight soon by knockout and they just nickname him 12 pound hammer. Like, uh, you know, you could kind of, you know, it kind of be like uh, like Brad Pickett. You know what I mean? Like, we'll just have a little bit of fun. Or no, was it Neil Siri? I think it was Neil Siri who had the 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 funny nickname. They just turned it around and be like, hey, let's just let's just have a little bit of a little bit of amusement with this. Yeah, Brad um, Pickett was Brad Pickett was one punch Pickett and Neil Siri, I think, was two tap. Two tap. Exactly. Two yeah. Tap, yeah. Yep. Because he did the Brazilian tap in a fight and got away with it, and he won. Neil Series, his um, just in case y'all want to know, his birthday is the same day as mine too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Neil, Neil Sears, that's a perfect let's remember some guy's name uh, for, for, for some fighters that were really fun to watch. <laughs> I got a feeling that this week we're going to veer very, very hard into that direction yet again. I don't know why. I've got a hunch, and I'm really trying to not help that. Oh, boy. Anyway, we're uh, actually going to move from an exciting bout that uh, we are actually really quite hyped for, right? I mean, it's that's pretty cool. We're actually going to be looking towards something else that could be very, very exciting, although there is a bit of a heavy caveat to it. It was recently announced that the UFC has been planning for Brian Ortega to be taking on Yair Rodriguez in what could be, you know, a, a really sensational bout. Unfortunately, it is a bout that has been planned for some time and it did not take place. But maybe, just maybe we might make the magic happen in this particular instance. Uh, it would come at a pretty strong cost, and that would be the fact that, uh, unfortunately, uh, Zabit Magomed Sharipov is not going to be fighting anytime soon. It appears that Zabit, according to a report here from Ariel Hawani, is uh, – I'm just looking up the quote here. Uh, he's happy not fighting and has no plans on returning at the moment. Now, I don't know if he discovered crochet. I don't know if he finally got his hands on a PS5. I don't know what it is he's doing with his life. I usually commend guys from stepping away from fighting if they've had enough. And, yeah, yeah it's good. But I got some questions, dude. Like, what uh, what exactly leads to this? No, we don't know yet, right? And, again, I don't, I don't want to go back to firing up the Speculatron. Please, it's a dumb name. I don't like saying it as much as you people might think it is. And even if I did, well, I mean, come on. I'm not considering your feelings because we all know how I feel about the listeners. But, look, we're getting a really good fight here. And uh, I, it should very clearly set up what would be a number two or number three person and possibly a number one uh, if circumstances get a little stranger uh, in the future, in the immediate near future. But we are losing a good fight. Uh, I'm still happy that if we're going to lose it, we're going to get something that is not just suitable but super exciting. Uh, the main point here was that uh, it seems it's a beat. What's not entirely clear to me as to who it was that he was supposed to fight among the two. He was in the mix like that Usher movie, and it didn't pan out, so we're getting this instead. So, folks, what are we to make of this particular matchup? And um, is it too early to make educated guesses as to what might be going on with Magomed Sharapov? Well, I think this is a fantastic fight to make. They, they share something in common, that they both took one hellacious beating at the hands of Max Holloway. And uh, I think that they'll be paired off together very well. I I couldn't call this one right now. I, I don't know who would win. Yair is a tough son of a gun. Uh, Brian Ortega is too, but Brian Ortega has that factor of being able to pull something off at the very end. I know Yair did that against Korean Zombie. I guess I feel like maybe Brian Ortega might have the little edge here, just the tiniest sliver of an edge. Um, as far as, as Zabit, who knows? Your guess is as good as mine. I'm going to go with you, Victor, and say that he discovered PS5. Yeah, I mean, that is a, a rare thing to find, a PS5 that isn't a scam. Uh, <laughs> so with Zabit, it is a bummer if he is, as a fan, it's a bummer if he he's just fine not fighting and all the injuries may have been just so frustrating that he's just going to call it a career and go do, go do something else. Because the dude, even if I have some questions about his 
cardio and a couple other things with his uh, overall skill set, he's a fun fighter to watch. And he's clearly one of the best featherweights in the world. But the good news out of that Zabit story is that if the U.S. is looking to make Ortega versus Rodriguez, that needs to be five rounds. No, you can't have anything else. That has to be a five-round fight. It is a perfect matchup for those two because, as I had pointed out a few months back when Yair had lost to Max Holloway, he raised his stock in defeat. And that's not common. And also, that's not common against Max Holloway. Like, you lose to Max Holloway, normally you take a serious beating. And Brian Ortega, that's exactly what happened. Now, Yair took his lumps, but he also landed Mm. quite a few hard shots on Max Holloway. That would have felt a lot of other people, but Max Holloway is one of the most incredibly tough athletes we've ever seen in the sport. So I'm torn on who to pick in that fight. Mm. If it does happen, whether it's a pay-per-view co-main for five rounds or if it's a fight night main event, have it in front of fans as well. Five rounds in front of fans. I, I might lean towards Ortega because unlike Holloway, if Ortega has Yair Rodriguez in full mount or, or like like Holloway did, that might be the end of the fight right there because of how gifted a submission specialist Ortega is. You got to keep going back to Ortega and Volkanovski and, and looking at the, the two times that he had the champ in so much trouble that the champ even said, I thought I was done for. Yeah, and he was taking a beating in that mm-hmm. fight too and, and nearly pulled it out uh, pulled it out from the fire. But one concern I have for Ortega is just the fact that he has taken those two beatings in title fights. Mm. The Volkanovski fight could have easily been stopped in the fourth round with how many shots he was taking on the ground. And then the Holloway fight did get stopped at the at the end of the fourth round. So, like, that stuff is going to add up. And Yair is so gifted as a striker in terms of how he can hurt people that it wouldn't shock me if Ortega's resistance finally broke. Like, it's so hard to call. It's a great fight. Uh, I should clarify something here because I, I might have mentioned, a, I might have said something here that would be a mistake. Uh, Zabit was supposed to fight Yair twice, once in 2018 and once in 2020. Neither of those materialized, unfortunately. And um, I think the 2018 one was when the um, situation was with the contract dispute with uh, Yair, if I remember correctly. So there's that. And second, has there ever been a battle between two so massively handsome Mexicans in the UFC? I don't think there has. There has not. They're beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Both of them are beautiful. This is the the the, the Riviera Maya dreamboat battle that uh, <laughs> that many have suspected it would never happen. But but it's happening now, so this is good. Yeah, just need the official announcement, and then to bubble wrap both of them. Yes, <laughs> I mean, we've, sure. we've already had too many good fights canceled and we're in February that that fight needs to be preserved for for the sake of the fans. There, there's no way it's a boring fight. These I mean, two, these two are so beautiful. The winner gets the title of Mexiyama. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I love that. Mexiyama. Who is the yummiest man in Chihuahua? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, Ortega should just take that nickname anyway, because it's a hell of a lot better than T-City. Let's talk former heavyweights. Brock Lesnar uh, has been in the news lately. He's, of course, still with WWE. And he did a recent podcast appearance on the Pat McAfee show. And you know the deal with Lesnar and his UFC career, former champion, blah, 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 one of the most popular athletes on the roster ever, certainly very commercially successful. And he talked about his relationships with Dana White and Vince McMahon. So he said of Dana, Dana's all right. I got a lot of money from him. I probably should have gotten paid more. Yet I really can't compare the two guys. Honestly, my relationship with Vince is so different than it is with Dana over the years. 
Vince and I have had a love-hate relationship for the last 20 years, but it's been good. We've got a lot of wonder, water under the bridge. I have a lot of respect for both men. So he, he went a little deeper into his comparisons. He says, dealing with Dana is just a totally different business approach. I look at Vince more as a father figure because I've learned a lot of things from him. I was able to carry those things over and handle business with Dana. Vince is a self-made person. So is Dana. Took the company and made it public. All right, that's wrong on both ends. Now we, we get to some other stuff. With this, He had some thoughts on the state of the UFC. And he says, I don't watch a lot of fighting anymore because there's just so many guys. It's hard to follow. Boy, that, that that's uh, that's one where, where Brock Lesnar can relate to the common man. I wish Dana could figure out how to book things differently. Like, come on, man, let's let's start getting behind some of these guys and protect somebody for a while so they can become a household name. And you could cha-ching him. But he's in the business of putting on super fights every week. It's tough to do, and it is tough to stay on top. Now, with regards to the whole I probably should have gotten paid more line, uh, we do know some of Brock Lesnar's purses. He had side deals of $750,000 as a non-champion and $1.6 million as the champion. Now, for his last two fights, he most likely sh uh, took home, based on documents, $3 million at UFC 141, which would be the Alistair Overeem fight, and then $8 million at UFC 200. $8 million, to our knowledge, is the most that any heavyweight has ever been paid in MMA history. So uh, what are your thoughts on... on Brock's whole should have been paid more line because it's hard to disagree with it when you consider the pay-per-view buys it was raking in. I agree with him. Any fighter that gets in there and wants more money, I automatically default to they deserve it. I don't care who it is. I mean, I'm not a fan of Conor McGregor by any means, but if he says I need more money, I'm going to side with him because he's a fighter. He's in the UFC. And I automatically know that the UFC is paying out an 83-17 split. So by virtue of that, and by virtue of the amount of pay-per-views that Brock Lesnar has put eyes on, I agree with him. More power to him. I hope, I hope everyone stands up and says this. Everyone. Yeah, I mean, 100% agreed, man. Look, I can't sit here and say, you know, that even Conor McGregor's underpaid and then be like, no, Brock Lesnar, he did fine. No, the eyeballs that this man brought to the sport by virtue of being this monster who had come over from pro wrestling, who had spent some time in exile from pro wrestling outside of the American fans' eyes uh, after he went over to Japan and, you know, then tried he tried his hand as fighting and, and uh participated in that dynamite show uh, beating up that unfortunate giant Korean gentleman. Um, I, you know, yeah, there were a lot of expectations. There were a lot of doubts. He was placed perfectly matched up excellently against uh, Frank Mir, a former champion. And, um, you know, he looked good. He acquitted himself. He, he beat the snot out of Frank until he didn't, and he got submitted, and that's fair. I mean, what did he do after that? He became one of the – had one of the fastest rises to a championship – uh, he just did mammoth numbers every time he was in there, and you had to have him on your biggest shows. And every one of the shows that he was on was guaranteed to be a big show regardless. So, yeah, this dude, for all the money that he made them, absolutely, absolutely he deserved more than most likely he got. And that's just the, another example of two exploitative businesses he should know. The main major difference is that at least in professional wrestling, you know, you do have more opportunities to make more money more often. And what I mean by that is you look at Matt Riddle, right? Wrestling every week, he's making more than he was making in the UFC where he's getting paid, you know, five or 10 or whatever per fight and having to basically eat, you know, boiled potatoes and out of old tuna cans to stay in shape between fights. 
You know, so you don't you don't have that same situation when you're actually uh, grinding and doing all the road work and doing all that. But you know, Lesnar being a an established name and a major player and iconic figure in professional wrestling is commanding way higher paydays and working a much more relaxed schedule. And not only that, but the merchandise, right? You make these guys stars, and that's the thing that WWE does best is that you might not be making pay per view money now, but you're definitely making uh, a hell of a lot more money. On uh, on you know how much you can actually sell. There's guys that are not even like secondary title holders, and they're making a ton of money off merch. So um, yeah, Brock should know. Brock should know when it comes to two of the most exploitative and 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 rapacious people, and and uh, anything that's got to do with entertainment on a more physical level. He has seen two of the worst. He's worked for two of the worst, and he knows what it's like. So, uh, looking as someone who's been an ace in both uh, organizations and and on you know, having his feet in both worlds. You might want to listen to him. If he's telling you that that's bad, then you should know that it's bad. And the fact that he decided to side with Vince, a man who has committed various crimes, allegedly, who has covered for multiple crimes, allegedly, um, you know, (laughs) if you're siding with that guy, boy, howdy, that says a lot. And it leads to even more questions. You know what question I have, though? The WWE always pushes their biggest stars into movies. They even have their own production company. Where's Brock's movie? Mm, Well, I mean, they don't always... Maybe he doesn't want to. I mean, he's a very... He is known for being something of a recluse. You know, maybe it's just not something that he is interested in doing. He's known for wanting to spend his time away from wrestling, being away from everything, just being at home with his kids and hunting and fishing. Maybe that's just maybe that's just the move for him. Maybe he just doesn't feel like doing that. Could be. I'm pretty sure any any scripts that they send for for pro wrestlers to do movies, uh, they just default go to John Cena. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, yeah, he's used out to from be under the that rock. Umbrella. Yeah, it used to be yeah. the Rock would always get him. Yeah, but see, once those guys break out from under that umbrella, they they do pretty well. Like Kane, he did a he did a movie or two. Big Show had a movie, and that was under WWE's eye. But now, you know, once those contracts run out and you get bigger deals and bigger things, you know, now you're getting calls from Warner Brothers, from Disney, you know, like Dave Batista. You know, he's not he's not making movies for Vince. He's making movies on his own, and he's doing Bond films. He's doing you know Blade Runner. He's doing artistic and and fulfilling things. So. That's that's a different kind of script that's landing on his desk because he's pursuing a different avenue. Whereas some of these guys are just typecast as a thing, and they, uh, you know, they they just end up with a different thing. It's it's an unfortunate reality, but it's a reality nonetheless. Yep. Before we move on, I just want to double down on how ridiculous it is for Brock to say Vince is a self-made person. So is Dana. <laughs> oh. Vince McMahon, a self-made person. I don't know a ton about pro wrestling, but I do know who his dad is, and that <laughs> automatically. Yeah. disqualify that statement <laughs> precisely i mean i don't know too many people that were happy just happen to be friends with vegas billionaires and ended up buying an organization and then just put you in as president i i, I don't know too many people who did that either so self-made the, the myth of the self-made billionaire lives strong in the imagination of the american psyche because of the fact that it's been pounded and propaganda works it's just right in your head chiseled in there firmly established and some people are never going to let go of it, man. It's just what it is. But look, I mean, billionaires have always been uh, rapacious and uh, destroying everything, whether it's uh, farmland or forests or everything else. I mean, they take your tax dollars in ways that you don't see, in ways of subsidies and grants and not paying taxes. They 
pretty much uh, continue to be revered somehow because that myth is uh, just something that we have unfortunately not been able to eradicate as we did smallpox. But that is just the reality of the world. Billionaires suck, and every single one of them is a blight upon humanity, which is why I'd like to remind you all we are available on Amazon Music. They've got music and they've got podcasts. They've got us. They've got a whole bunch of other cool stuff that I don't really care to find out, but I love doing this for you people anyway, even though I hate you. So just take the little bit of amusement that I'm tossing out because really it's all we got. So we're going to talk about bullies and it's probably not going in the direction you might think. Okay. So not too long ago, Kevin Holland had a situation in which some guy was talking mondo shit online and decided he was going to go to that gym and he was going to teach Kevin Holland a lesson of some sort. And he subsequently got housed, as he should have. Well, it turns out another troll decided that he was going to go out there and be the bully against Kevin Holland. And, well... That kid got a reality check, and boy, howdy. If you haven't seen the video, boy, listen, it's something else. He starts off by having the guy punch him in the gut, right? He's flexing his abs. He's doing one of those ab checks, right? Like, go ahead, test my abs. Go ahead, go ahead. And the guy's landing punches, and then they decide to spar. And it wasn't pretty, man. Dude got tuned up pretty bad. In fact, the preview clip on Twitter was way funnier because at the end, it's just the uh, holder screen that says, for more, follow my OnlyFans. Um <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna follow the OnlyFans to see this man, uh, you know, be uh, uh, romanticized with with punches. I guess I don't know where I'm going with the segue, but the point is, it's it's not it's not a good idea to challenge pro fighters. I really would love to know what it is specifically about Kevin Holland to have these two clowns, because that's really what they are decide to challenge him in such a short period of time, especially the second guy after having seen what happened of the first. Granted, the first guy decided he was going to grapple with Kevin, a jiu-jitsu black belt, no less. But it's one thing for Kevin Holland to be taken down by a guy in the UFC and some rando off the street that wrestled in high school. There is something about unearned confidence as well that I'm really curious about. Like, what is that phenomenon with men? Why is that a thing that just keeps causing situations like this? And maybe, I don't know, maybe there is no real hard and fast answer for that, right? Maybe things, cases are just different from one person to another. But this really isn't a good look. And I'm just, I, I really, really want to know, again, why Kevin Holland specifically? Is it something in the water in Texas? Is it something about Kevin specifically? Is it a matter of people thinking that, you know, maybe because of his personality and some of the uh, things that they see in his fighting, that maybe they could just get away with stealing on them every now and again. So folks, I want to know from you, okay, what do you think is causing this? What's it going to take to stop? And do you think that we've seen the last of people trying to bully Kevin into taking <laughs> these fights and these smokers that end up making them um, victims online, essentially? The first guy challenged him and kind of made headlines and made the media circuit and so the second guy was like, I can do that too. Remember the first guy, Kevin flew him out. Kevin put him up at a hotel. Kevin flew him back. The same thing could have happened for this guy. Fighters get challenges like this 
all the time. You can look in the comment sections of any tweet that they have or Instagram that they have where they're in a fist pose or they show a picture from one of their fights. There's always some asshole that challenges them to stuff. I would wager it happens a lot more than we think. And Kevin Holland just decided for a fun thing to go ahead and get one of them to come out to him and film it and put it out because Kevin Holland is pretty smart in that regard about how to promote himself on social media. I think it will continue to happen. Uh, I saw someone, maybe it was you, Victor, I'm not sure, but somebody on Twitter said that he should make a little mini show of this and, and put it up on Fight Pass and make himself a side deal with the <laughs> UFC. And I think that's a brilliant idea. It sure well, is. I would love that's, to see that's, that. That's how you know I didn't come up with it because it's brilliant. And you got to remember, fans have been challenging not only fighters, but managers and other people for the longest time. Remember that guy? Uh, I'm not... What was his name? Bloodstain Lane had this. Oh God! Famous... Oh, oh, I know him very, very well. Yeah, he had this famous feud with Malki Kawa, and they, I believe, they actually had like a grappling session, and Malki Kawa got one up on him. Malki Kawa of all people. Oh no! Yes, absolutely happened. So you look at things like that, and it's been going on for more than a decade. It's probably gone on for plenty of time before that but i think it continues to happen because kevin holland clearly entertains it and <laughs> makes the most of it himself and i'm all for it i think it's riotous comedy so yeah that's my take oh god and have oh. the kevin holland warrior beat uh a keyboard warrior beat down oh, uh, exactly yeah, the Bloodstain Lane story I have is that he once, when I lived in New York, he once tried to fight me. So I just, I just made up a bunch of shit of where I actually was. I think I said I, I was on the Long Island Expressway rest stop. <laughs> I don't know if he actually drove there, but it was certainly hilarious that night that that he he just wanted to pick fights. But anyway, uh, for for Kevin Holland, this reminds me of a tweet that that popped up the other day. Uh, I can't remember who said it. I think it, th this wasn't MMA related, but it had to do. Okay, I, I found it. Uh, Analyticist, I think, is his uh, username, and he talked about the, this hypothetical where if he got to play in every game for an NBA team, would he be able to score at least twenty at least twenty points one time? And he put up a poll. So any sensible person knows the answer is no. You're, you're lucky to get two points. Uh, it, it, we can talk all we want about, you know, some fighters not being as good as others. Like Kevin Holland has some clear deficiencies, but against other top flight athletes, he will whoop the ass of your average citizen. And it's the same thing for a regular NBA basketball player. Just because some dudes are not good enough for the NBA or to crack a rotation doesn't mean they can't come to the local YMCA and cook your ass. Uh, I think uh, Brian Scalabrini, the Boston Celtics, uh, he, he's... <laughs> He's their TV analyst, but he used to play for them. He won a championship with them. Never known as a superstar player or anything of that nature. But he was just giving these dudes buckets at, at, at the rec center constantly. So that, that that's, again, you got to underscore the point. You, the regular average Joe, have no chance against high-level athletes. We got to bring back, bring back pros versus Joes. Remember that show on Spike? Mm, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to need this for combat sports as well because that dude could not he, – he had nothing going for him. He was getting ripped to the body. It was painful. So, Kevin Holland, I know you got a fight with Alex Oliveira coming up. That seems like a winnable fight, but uh, I think you can make more money just beating up key, uh, online trolls. Yeah. You know, you know what? I I remember Bloodstain Lane doing his shadow boxing and stuff like that. I had no idea that he had to he pick fights with people or anything like that. Um, I know that he took a bit of a uh, break from social media and came back even nuttier. So I'm not really going to say anything about that. But to challenge Malkikawa and to be stunned, but I couldn't imagine. This is a fate worse than death. Can you imagine? I no, my pride would not allow me to do some shit like that. I'm sorry. If I'm stepping on a mat with Maki Kawa, he's there's no way that that's happening. But judging from what I saw in the uh, the the shadow boxing footage from Bloodstained Lane, that doesn't surprise me either. I mean, the man, he didn't look like he was, uh, you know, he he wasn't no he wasn't no Adonis, if you know what I'm saying. Like this this was not a, a dude that was in any kind of grappling shape to be out there. But there is something to be said about that, right? The blind confidence and and also looking at Malky and saying, yeah. That guy doesn't look like a dude who could fight too good either. <laughs> well, he was, I mean, I remember when Bloodstained Lane got his little 15 minutes was because he kept challenging a fighter. And I can't for the life of me remember which one it was, but it was quite a famous little thing. And the fighter actually offered to fly Bloodstained Lane to him for a filmed sparring session and Bloodstained Lane declined. I get you... Listen, you don't get your ass beat by Malky Kawa. Well, I, all I the know only, is that he got tapped or something like that. That's what I read. The only way that yeah. could be worse is losing to Abe. I mean, just no. <laughs> what is wrong with these people, man? You got to hide in a hole. You got to move. You got to move to Kandahar province. Change your name to something. Open up a, a I don't know, a, a PC Richard and son. You, you got to do something else with your life and stay off social media, bro. You can't walk on this path of the You can't not walk on the same patch of earth as me when you lose in a makikawa it's just, no 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 this is this is unbearable i'm sure maybe mike fagan our, our former bloody elbow colleague has it the the, the gifs we have of uh blood same lane shadow boxing showing off his quote vitor bell for 97 hands <laughs> and his andy hoog axe kick <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't he have a Sakuraba one too or something like that? Like the roll or something? I don't know. Like an Imanari roll, I think it was? I don't remember. I, I don't think he's capable of rolling. But well, anyway. <laughs> he, he just might. Yeah. Anyway, well, he's, he's going to get rolled by Malky Cow. I might as well take on uh, multi-time Olympic gold medalist Ali. <laughs> rolled like a, like a Katamari. <laughs> Anyway, let's get to the predictions. But before we do that, why don't you head on over to um, YouTube because that's where you can find all of our podcasts. It's not—it's in video form, but we're, we're not on camera. Uh, but anyway, you get the idea. Just type in Bloody Elbow Presents at the search bar. Uh, you hit that subscribe button. You can hit the thumbs up button. And also you hit the little bell. And, and that's how you get all of our new content six days of the week. We might not be on camera, but we do have photos of ourselves on all these shows, including uh, Zane's adorable dog, Molly, who is far more co coherent than Zane or Connor on the vivisection. Anyway, Bloody Elbow presents six days a week, and it's free. Now let's get to the predictions for last uh, for this week, but also last week. Not good for me. Uh, not good for Victor, really. I was all right. Steffi won the week at five and two. I went four and three. Victor went two and five, so his time at the top was very quick, uh, very short-lived. 
Steffi uh, picked Jared Cannonier over Derek Brunson, and that was uh, looking shaky in the first round, but then he ended up getting the second round knockout. Uh, what else here? We were all wrong on Roxanne Montefiore versus Casey O'Neill, but we just needed one more bad judge, and we would have been correct. Yeah. Texas let us down. We only have one bad judge. We needed two for that fight. Um, we got Arlovsky, Andre Arlovsky over um, Jared Vanderoff correct. It's a good thing we only had one bad judge in that fight. It was the same one who did the Montefiore fight. Otherwise, that would have been a robbery against Arlovsky. We picked Bobby Green over Nadrat Hakparas. Pretty easy to call. Uh, Victor went with Marcelo Rojo over Kyler Phillips, and that didn't go well whatsoever. Kyler Phillips looked fantastic. Already brought up Canada Brunson. We were wrong on Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa. Uh, again, it was looking good until it wasn't. And Shuivasa, the, the legend continues. And then the main event, Victor, you were very close to, to salvaging the, the upset pick by going with Whitaker over, over Adesanya. I don't know how you scored the fight. Did you did you give it to Robert or did you give it to Izzy? No, you know what? I gave it to Izzy, but the feeling I had by like the middle of round three, I just it just like the one thing I couldn't stop thinking about. This performance was what I expected out of him the first time around. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, and and it's unfortunate because now he's in the whole 0 and 2 against Izzy. He might not get another shot. But then again, you look at the rest of the landscape in middleweight. Maybe I guess you'd have to do something pretty gargantuan to make the, to to have that happen, as we've seen before. But um, this really solidified. Okay, Bobby Knuckles is back. He's not going anywhere, and there's nobody outside of these two right now that you can fully trust 100 percent on any given night. No, you can't. So Izzy versus Cannonier, presumably next. Um, but, you know, with, with Whitaker, we know that Volkanovski and Holloway have fought twice, and they were supposed to fight a third time. And it's not quite the same dynamic because Holloway didn't get stopped in the first fight, but he clearly lost the first fight. The second fight was close enough you could have gone either way, and then we got a third fight. So I know Whitaker got stopped in the first, and it looked ugly. But this fight was close enough you could have given him the win. Maybe, just maybe, we get one more fight between these two. You never know. I mean, it's certainly a hell of a lot better than a lot of the other options at 185. Yeah. What are you going to do? Adesanya Costa too? Well, the, the other thing too is if Adesanya beats Cannoneer, you could you could actually, and let's say Whitaker has another fight in there somewhere, you could theoretically make that fight and it'd be just fine. Because, yep. you know, Whitaker's already beaten Cannoneer. I know that it got a little dicey in that third round, but he had a phenomenal first two rounds over him. It was a clear win for him. Yep, it was. So uh, we're still looking for our first finish in a main event in 2022. Maybe we'll get it on this UFC card because we actually haven't had a finish in any of Bellator's main events either in, in the uh, in the new year. So the standings, boy, do I really need to read this off? I'm in first at 11 and 10 and Victor and Steffi are 10 and 11. Just just perfect mediocrity. We're, we're better than the Knicks, but that's not saying much. Mm. Now we got uh, <laughs> Bellator. You, what did you call them? The poverty Knicks? Yes, I call them the Poverty Knicks because they they blew an almost 30-point lead last night. That's the third time in, in less than two weeks they had a lead of over 20 points and lost. Hey, man. And they, one of them was to my Blazers. Listen, this is this is the Al Bundy curse, you understand? As long as James Dolan breathes on this earth and owns that team, they will never see success nor prosperity. I'm telling you right now, you could call anybody. You could douse them in that water Peter Popoff is giving away. I don't care. They ain't doing it. They ain't winning. All I'll say with James Dolan is, as an ex-New York resident, Cablevision, or whatever the hell it's called now, the drizzling shits. Now we get to Bellator 274. That is the uh, one fight that we're going to pick. Logan Storley versus Neiman Gracie. And I should note, this is not a title fight, obviously, but 
much like the UFC, Bellator is doing five round main events, whether it's for a title or not. So Storley's only lost so is to the champ, Yaroslav Amosov. Neiman Gracie lost to, to Roy McDonald in the welterweight tournament. Interesting fight. A wrestler versus grappler. Who wins? Storley. <laughs> I don't even think it'll be close. Uh, I'm going to take Storley. I'm going to go with Gracie, actually. And, I mean, it's it feels a little counterintuitive seeing that Storley is working over at Sanford and he's developed his striking. He's got, you know, he's got some wrinkles that he's added to his game that perhaps we haven't seen too much of. But then I look at how Neiman Gracie did against Ed Ruth and I think, damn, hold up. He really, he really went in there against an accomplished wrestler and he did that. Well, shit, I don't think wrestling is going to be as much of a concern for him. You know, I think he's really got a lot of the uh, movement down, a lot of his timing down. I think he's really a much more complete fighter than a lot of people want to give him credit for by the burden of having his last name. You know, people just think these guys are only jujitsu dudes. Like, no, this cat... This cat's got a little more in his jiu-jitsu, much like Crone, much more adapted for the realities of modern mixed martial arts. Um, I think Naaman might pull it out. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Naaman Gracie striking doesn't look too bad. And the fact that I say that about anybody named Gracie is, is miraculous. Storley, he can be a dominant wrestler, but if he does have to go into Gracie's wheelhouse, I'm a little bit nervous that he won't be able to deal with Gracie effectively. It's a tough fight to pick because if Storley is working on his striking at Sanford, then you would like the idea of wrestler with a powerful overhand just sleeps a Gracie. I mean, that's a tale as old as as time. But I got to go. I'm going to go with Neiman Gracie. I don't feel comfortable with it, but I feel like Gracie has adapted his game better for modern MMA than a lot of the other Gracie's. So Steffi's going with Storley. Victor and I are going with Gracie. Gracie just lost last year to a guy that doesn't even have a wiki page named Jason Jackson. Yeah, that fight was awful. Yeah, and then he's only had one win since then, Mark Leminger. When he beat Ed Ruth, I mean, Ed Ruth had only beaten a bunch of chumps up to that point. Ed Ruth is on a two-fight losing skid right now, too. Taylor Johnson and Yaroslav Emisov. So, I mean, I think y'all are on a crack or something to be picking Neiman Gracie over Logan Storley. Leminger is also a pretty good wrestler, too, though. That's the thing. And um, He's He's all right for Bellator. He's all right, but what I'm saying is like he's these guys aren't exactly like Jason Jackson. That's the the other Sanford guy, right? The the ass kicking machine or whatever they called him. Yeah. yeah, he beat Benson Henderson. Yeah, this is clearly not peak Bendo, but that that fight was terrible, and I don't even remember if the decision was actually justified. It's it's just this type of fight could be a bit ugly to watch. Yep. Because of the way that Storley fights, and certainly the way we can see Gracie's fight historically speaking. So, uh, Steffi picking Storley, Victor and I going with Gracie. If if Storley wins this, that is the end of me picking any Gracie to win a fight that looks competitive (laughs) on paper because I should know better. Anyway, we get to the UFC card, starting off with Joaquin Buckley and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. I know that there's not a lot of great fights on this card, but this is the one that should produce a vicious finish. Yeah, and you know, you you don't really know which one's going to get it. I think I'm going to go with Buckley just for the the wow factor. And yeah, Buckley, there you go. Mm. I don't know, man. The thing is that, that Abdul, the only guy to really put his lights out like that was Chaos Williams. You know, dude mm-hmm. got a chin. The dude got a chin. And you look at the way he delivers, like the, the Kiriko fight with the head kick. Nico Price, Sabaho Masi, twice over, just, just you know, really uh, uh, 
doing some crazy damage. You know, does Buckley have the kind of style to neutralize this? I don't know. The thing is that uh, Hassan, his losses are more by guys that are, you know, that won't or cannot be bullied by him and, you know, are able to stand their ground, not back up, you know, tie him up in knots and really fluster him, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, press him against the cage or try to um, work from the clinch. And I don't know that that's really Buckley's speed. I mean, I know, I'm sure that he's capable of it. And he's definitely a very talented guy, but I don't know, man. I mean, I'm seeing that Buckley also lost to the Kiriko again by head kick, so they're passing this around like the curse from the ring. And then, you know, there's there's that loss to Kevin Holland, which really sticks out to me, uh, you know, because Holland does have hands and he can hit, but at the same time, like, okay, what happens when another dude who's also pretty slick with his counters and delivers massive power puts it on you? I'm not too sure. So I want to pick Buckley, but I can't. I'm going to go with Al-Hassan. Yeah, I'm going with Al-Hassan as well. Buckley can certainly do cooler shit. I mean, the the Kasangane spinning kick knockout, that, that one that looks straight out of a movie is one of the best knockouts ever. But the way he fights also leads to him getting hurt. And certainly we saw that, excuse me, in the Holland fight. And the DeKiroko fight was crazy because he ends up getting knocked out by him by head kick. And then we, we get Al-Hassan knocking DeKiroko out by head kick. But uh, as you mentioned chaos williams put uh al hassan away so I, I just feel like there is i mean these fights aren't remotely comparable but just like with lewis to ivasa where i go one of these dudes is going to hit each other really hard and get and and then one of them's not going to get up that's how i feel about this fight one of these two is going to hit harder than the other one and then the person who gets put down on the canvas is not getting up so i'm going with al hassan to stop buckley so steffi going with buckley uh, Victor and I going with Al Hassan. Next up, you know we got to pick a Jim Miller fight. I don't care who Jim Miller is fighting. We must have a Jim Miller prediction. He's fighting Nicholas Malta. Now check this out. We spoke about Neil Siri earlier being my birthday twin. Jim Miller is also my birthday twin, and he's cool as shit. We've interviewed him many times. We always pick, but Jim Miller, and I'm not changing it up here. I don't care who he's fighting. So King Kong, bring it on. I'm taking Jim Miller. You know, it's funny. The only birthday twin that I have that isn't a complete lunatic is rapper Guap Dad. He's a funny dude. That's it. Other than that, it's like, do you really want to be known for being born on the same day as Kevin Spacey? I don't. Okay. Uh, yeah, man. Jim Miller. Jim Miller. You know why? Because Mota is good. But again, it's like Jadakus said, it's good. It's just not enough. Okay, look, you look at this dude coming up from the Brazilian scene, ends up in Shudo Brazil, and then from there to the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. And he did okay, but it wasn't exactly a strong season. The field of contenders wasn't super, you know, uh, you know, Hollywood, right? He ends up somehow fighting in the Carolinas for a spell, and then he ends up in Cage Fury where he has two really impressive performances. Great. Then he ends up on Contender Series. Good. But he just doesn't quite, I don't, it's like Jim Miller is now cursed to walk the earth, just destroying the dreams of younger prospects. They're using him as a gatekeeper, and it's working a little too well because, boy, howdy, that gate is getting slammed shut. And I think that's what's going to happen here in Malta. I don't know that he can handle both the wrestling and submission threat that Miller poses. And then on top of that, the ability that Miller has to just land those shots and be a little savvier, just be a little bit ahead of the, uh, of the curve when it comes to um, the openings that are available for him with striking. I, I don't, I don't see it. So I think he's going to school this young man, this young whippersnapper and uh, you know, then do the grandpa Simpson speech at the end. 
Jim Miller looked really good in the way that he knocked out Eric Gonzalez because he hadn't gotten a knockout like that in a long time. Uh, you got to respect his striking. You know what he can do on the ground. Nicholas Mata probably is going to be, be very aggressive, and he could stop Miller because, you know, Jim is not in his prime anymore, but he also fights aggressive to, aggressively to a fault at times. And I think Jim Miller, with his veteran savvy, he's capable of, of capitalizing on that. So youthfulness could decide this fight with, with Miller and Mata, but I got to go with Jim Miller. Uh, you know, until he starts consistently losing to guys who would otherwise beat, I, I've got to lean towards Miller. So we're all on board with Jim Miller beating Nicholas Mata. Now we get to the co-main event. Oh, boy, th- this is the co-main event, huh? I think Buckley could have been the co-main, but whatever. The UFC's bout order thing is, is all out of whack with the way this car got reshuffled. But it's Kyle Dalkus against Jamie Pickett. There should be a clear winner here. <laughs> I'm going to take Kyle Dalkus. Um, both the Dalkus brothers are pretty damn good. I, I don't know if they're going to be champions, but they seem to be top 10, top 5 material all the way around. So I'm going to take Kyle Dalkus here. Oh, I'm going to go with Pickett. And I hate doing it because Kyle's a cool dude and all that, but he, um, I, I don't know that he's got the physicality and the speed to really stay out of trouble here. Um, he's going to have to close the distance to get his grappling going. And that's not his only saving grace, right? Let's be fair to the guy. He can strike too, but I don't know, man. I'm not really seeing it. Pickett can use his range and kind of be a bit of a nuisance with his striking. I kind of think that might be more of a concern. So I'm going to go with him. I've just never seen anything out of Pickett to suggest that he's going to have a super long UFC career because it's a short notice. I think it's a 195 pound catch weight. So again, good, good on the UFC for doing a catch weight, not making somebody cut excessively on short notice. I'm trying to remember who Dacus was actually supposed to face on, uh, on this card and ended up with Pickett. But what I do remember is before all that craziness at the end of the Kevin Holland fight, that fight was actually going all right for him. I mean, I, I like Dalkus's potential to at least be a, a quality um, middleweight on this roster. So I'm going to go with Dalkus. He should be able to win this. Julian Marquez is who he's supposed to face. That would have been a way better fight and one where I would have been tempted to go with Marquez yep. just for the chaos of it. But um, this is a much more favorable fight for him. So Victor is going with Pickett for the upset. Steffi and I are picking Dalkus. We get to the main event. Are we going to get tentative Johnny Walker? Or are we going to get the normal crazy Johnny Walker against Jamal Hill? Because that pretty much decides this fight, I would think. We're going to get tentative Johnny Walker because that's how they're training him up to not be so weighed headlong into danger with, with your chin right out. Um, I'm taking Jamal Hill here because I think that he's going to be way more aggressive and can actually get it done. So I'm going to take Jamal Hill. Mm. Okay. Okay, see, Johnny Walker, the new Johnny Walker, right, SBG Johnny Walker, um, having a more conservative style is good for him. It has, it, it's got a recipe for consistent wins. It is unfortunately not going to be the most exciting thing, which, again, it could be fine. I mean, you know, it, it's, it could also um, put a bit of a damper on his aspirations to moving up too far in the division in short order. Um, I just see, see that... I, I see what, what Corey Anderson did. Being able to back up Johnny Walker seemed to have been the kryptonite. Hill is capable of doing that. To what extent he'll be able to have much success with that, I don't know. Uh, I like his hands. I like the way that he's able to deliver, man. The way he beat up Jimmy Crute and Ovin St. Preux, big eye-openers for me, man. I mean, that was that was um, 
something that I didn't expect from a guy who had considerably less experience than those guys. And um, I'm I'm just going to have to pick. Like, I want to pick the smart, sensible thing would be to pick Johnny Walker using teeps, you know, keeping the guy at bay and then just sort of trying to pick him apart at distance in his own way. But I just feel like he'll might be able to break through. And when he does... Oh, big things coming for you, my friend, because SBG, you know, can make guys somewhat defensively sound. But I don't know, man, I've I've had that same knock against them for quite some time. It's one thing is for them to develop prospects from the outset. Right. Your Sinead Kavanaugh's your, um, you know, uh, uh, Connor. <laughs> no, not, not Connor. I was, I'm thinking of uh, Kahal Pendred, you know, guys like that. Like he can make certain things work for guys that come in from the beginning. But I don't see much like in positive turnarounds for guys that have already been established, like uh, Makwan Americani, and in this case Johnny Walker. I don't, I can't have that much faith in that man. I've seen what happens when the when those guys go there, and it, it's not, it it just doesn't seem like there's that much upside and improvement. If we get crazy, Johnny Walker, I give him a good shot to win because it, I think by stripping away what he's really good at, which is just incredible offensive output and ability to do just all, all sorts of wild shit that hurts people. It, it makes him a lesser fighter by being the safer fighter. That Santos fight was so winnable and he threw it away. Well, part of it is his coach threw it away because he said that he was up through four rounds when it was actually tied and he ended up doing nothing in the fifth round and lost a terrible fight. But you look at these last four fights for, for Walker blown out by Corey Anderson and, and Corey Anderson's a very good fighter, but he's not known to be a knockout machine. Nikita Krilov, that fight was not good, and he also got thoroughly out-wrestled and out-grappled from what I remember. He knocked out Ryan Spann, you know, good good win for him, but he was hurt in that fight too. So maybe that's what kind of created the light bulb moment where we got to make Johnny Walker technical and defensively responsible. But Jamal Hill, the dude can crack. And I think that if we're talking about who's going to be more durable, it's got to be Hill. Now, as long as he's not overconfident or anything – I feel like he can land a big shot on Walker and put him away. Like he was overconfident, I think, in the Paul Craig fight where he says, I'm going to go grapple with Paul Craig. Bad idea. Ended up getting his arm mangled and he loses with uh, elbows and punches as well. So uh, same dynamic is not there with Walker. He's not going to go grapple with Johnny Walker and be in trouble, but I think he's got the ability to just stop him with a heavy shot. Anyway, I'm going with Hill. I think we're unanimous on Hill over Walker, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not not surprising. We're going with Jamal Hill over Johnny Walker. Beware with light heavyweight fights. Just hope it's better than the last time because Johnny Walker said this camp for the Hill fight is not that much different from Tiago Santos. I oh, hope wow. that doesn't mean a repeat of the same fight because if it is, I'm flicking over to something else. Oh, sure. He's fighting the same guy, same style. That makes all the sense in the world. Oh, God, he's going to lose, isn't he? And he's wrong, too. Yes. Hill and Santos don't fight the same way. Exactly. But our pick differences, Steffi going with Storley over Gracie and Buckley over Al-Hassan and Victor picking uh, Pickett. Picking picket <laughs> over Dalka. So you can read the rest of our picks over at Bloody Elbow. Before we go, best wishes to two people from the Ultimate Fighter. One, Chris Levin, because you might have seen fairly recently, he's been having some difficulty breathing and with his lungs after getting COVID. And then Mike Swick, Mike Quick Swick. I think we've interviewed him before. Great dude. Yes. He was recently diagnosed with cancer. And apparently he's had it for quite some time, several months, actually. But he only got diagnosed recently with it. So kick cancer's ass. Get one more W on your ledger, Mike. 
Yeah, and yeah. he's already done his first full round of chemo too. And and um I believe he said he got all the way down to 151 pounds. Mike Swick is six foot two. So yeah, six foot two used to fight at middleweight. Yeah. So, anyways, best wishes to Mike. He's a super awesome dude. And on that note, we're gonna wrap up the show. Please follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M Rodriguez. Myself at Crooklyn MMA. The show at Level Change Pod. We're also available on Facebook. That's Facebook.com/slash Level Change Podcast. Mookie is the managing editor over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. So, if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, please visit him there victor is the owner and operator of one hell of an instagram account with tons of foodie pics and exotic travel locations he is victor sinister rodriguez on instagram uh you can follow all of our work over on bloodyelbow.com and if you listen to the pre-recorded outro you can hear mookie's dulcet tones coasting you through to the other platforms we didn't mention during the recording Recording that you can listen to this show and all the other great shows on the Bloody Elbow Presents Podcast Network. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Open Guard Cast, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and of course on bloodyelbow.com.